it's reading the game, figuring out, trying to figure out what your opponent is trying to do. And with her being able to push and also with her aura, like I said, being able to deal damage out, it kind of puts them in a position of, do I want to go into this location knowing I'm going to take a lot of damage and possibly lose a model? As well as, once again, with her pushes, she can move people away in ley lines. If they get next to a marker, you can throw them away from the markers. Howdy friends, Craig here. We've got another Malifaux deep dive. This time it's May Fang and the Foundry crew. You're going to find that both of these guests have kind of a slightly different take on May Fang. They both play her a little bit differently, but with similar crews. One player looks at her as a more control master. Another one focuses on her damage dealing as well as her mobility. Stick around to the end because we talk about keywords that are out there that have got a huge boost with Gaining Grounds 1. These were crews that didn't scare them in Gaining Grounds 1, but now they're afraid of what they're capable of. Enjoy! Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Arcanist Master Mei Fang and how the Foundry Crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guests today are Brandon Lynch and Jeremy Peace. Now you know Brandon from his Path to Podium episode for the North Carolina Grand Tournament. His Foundry crew has led him to more than just a few podiums. So, Brandon, welcome back to the third floor. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So, big question is, I heard a rumor that you have actually had a chance to stand in front of another human being and actually play Malifaux. I need you to confirm that. Yeah, it was uh, great, even though the masks are a little bit awkward. It was still fun. Good. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Uh, did you uh, did you miss it as much as I'm missing it now? Oh, so much. Uh, I've played so many games on Vassal, but it's just completely different pushing plastic around on the table. Well, yeah, what what do you think is the difference? Because I've tried playing Vassal, and I just I just can't enjoy it. Um, so I'd be curious to know, as somebody who does enjoy playing Vassal, what what do, what do you think is missing as far as the experience? Why do you think I don't like Vassal? Uh, one, it's a lot more visual appealing. Uh, seeing the models and the terrain, being able to walk around and see the board from different perspectives. And also, above and beyond the game, it's the uh, interaction, getting to actually talk to people, be with yeah. people, you know, the contact. Yeah, the, the social part of it's so big. Yeah, And for me, too, I think it's the analog aspect of it, too. Um, I spend all day in front of a screen uh, and talking on Skype and zoom and crap for work and it's nice i mean part of the reason i fell into the hobby is to to step away from that so um that's cool i'm very envious my friend very envious but uh hopefully here soon um i'll start uh being able to maybe have some people up here on the third floor to get some real life games in and get the stream going again 
So my other guest is Jeremy. Now, technically, it's his first appearance uh, here on the podcast, but he's been on the YouTube channel, and you've actually heard me talk about Jeremy or refer to him more than a few times. So every time you hear me talk about the guy who's new to the game that's better than he should be, that's uh, who I'm talking about is Jeremy. Uh, Despite the fact that he's an arcanist, he's a very good guy um, and has actually become a pretty good friend of mine. So Jeremy, I guess technically welcome back to the third floor. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Um, so you're going to get the initial question everybody gets, um, and it's one of my favorite stories. So how did you find mini games, and how did you find Malifaux? Uh, actually, one of my best friends, uh, Sam Newman, you've mentioned him a few times on the podcast as well. Uh, he played Malifaux, um, or plays Malifaux. Uh, he knew that I played uh, cards for a long time, so he figured that aspect um, would attract me. And yeah, I once I saw the game and realized uh, how fun it was, I've uh, spent a lot of time uh, pushing models around. Yeah, you've gotten your reps in, man. Um, I think that's a big reason why I think you've become one of the better players here in North Carolina. So a uh, question for you, though, Jeremy, as far as the kind of the learning curve um, for someone who was just brand new to all of it, um, you know, Malifaux is a pretty, pretty intricate complicated game what do you think was the hardest thing to to grasp as a new player uh the hardest thing to get my arms around as a new player was uh the like how far things are apart like the measuring aspect um cards came pretty naturally i i can remember the things on the cards pretty decently but uh trying to relate the distances on the cards to like the real models that and you know learning um you know how to not just push too far forward and just get you know alpha strike at the very beginning of the game those type of mistakes were the hardest parts to learn yeah positioning is a big part of the game um and i think it's uh one of those uh aspects of the game that isn't talked about enough and i think part of the reason it's not talked about is it's it's a hard thing to teach it's a hard thing to learn because it's so situational uh you can't just do a podcast on positioning because so many things are factors involved in it um so uh that makes complete sense to me so guys what we're going to do is we're going to focus on may fang and the foundry crew what we're going to do is dig deep into how these two gentlemen build a foundry crew how they play the crew, some key tech pieces that they bring in based on who they're playing or what the strategy and schemes are. We're even going to cover how to counter the crew. So Brandon, let's start with you. Let's pretend somebody listening has never played Foundry, has never put Mei Fang on the table, or maybe has never played against Mei Fang. Um, how would you categorize her as a master? What kind of master is she? Uh, she's a really kind of a toolbox, but more towards the mobile side. I kind of play her as a control piece, actually, which is a little bit different. She has pretty good area control aspects to her uh, with the capability of just being a scalpel and removing a target. So do you think that it's her mobility and her offensive ability that makes her control? Yes, uh, with her being able to push people around and then her aura can kind of shut people off from coming into the area. So that's really one of her signature abilities. So can we talk about that aura? Sure. It's uh, the ability is called vent steam and it's a three inch or around her base uh, models within it have concealment enemy non-construct models treated as hazardous. 
Yeah, and you couple that with her mobility and her ability to make sure that that hazardous is in the right place at the right time. Um, it can can really uh, cause extreme havoc. Um, now, Jeremy uh, Brandon, you know, mentions that he you know likes to play her as a control piece. Would you can would you categorize her as a control master? Uh, I mean, she can be definitely. Uh, she's also, I mean, she can effectively be one of the beater masters. You know, what I mean, like she is an attack piece. You know, she can attack up to three times in a turn with her uh, jackhammer kick. I mean, or six times in a turn, I should say. Um, so, and she has the ability to, you know, like force her suits in to get that. So, you know, it's a little bit easier than having to have the card or having to, you know, stone for it. Because uh, you can just drop the stat down with her uh, press the advantage ability on the front of her card. Yeah, and I think that's huge as far as being able to manage resources, right? So, Jeremy, for someone who's not familiar with that disgusting offensive attack of her, can you kind of walk us through how her kick works? Yeah, so, um, you know, the attack is Deadly Claws. Um, it's a stat six range uh, one inch, but um, the benefit is the jackhammer kick is one of the triggers, which is the ram. Now, I know when you're thinking of trigger, a lot of times you, you may think that you're not going to be able to hit it all the time, but fortunately there's ways that you can on the further card. Um, and the jackhammer kick gives you a two inch push away from the model. And then you get to take the action again. And the best part of that is that with Vic steam up, uh, you get that extra point of damage. So her two, four, five starts to look more like a three, five, six. And, uh, on the further card, the press, the advantage allows you just to bake that trigger in, um, just by reducing that stat by two. So if you ever, you know, get that large jump on ahead of an opponent or if they're low on cards and can't cheat it in, you can just uh, drop your stat by two and uh, take a trigger, either the jackhammer kick or one of the others. Yeah, and what's I think really significant about that is kind of the uh, the efficiency of that kick because not only are you outputting some decent decent amount of damage, especially when combined with the aura, but the ability for you to multiple times be able to move yourself and the opponent's model really can be the difference maker in scoring or not scoring and gaining grounds one because where the model is is such a huge part of whether you score or not absolutely and as a new player one of the mistakes i often make is positioning and whenever you have multiple chances to kind of readjust like that um, you can take what may have been you just being off by know a half an inch to get what that next move is done to all of a sudden you can get into that spot because you know you have that extra bit of movement uh with the uh constant motion yeah no question now brandon from from an off offensive standpoint obviously the kick is a big deal is there anything else that she's doing offensively um her bonus action mixed with the golem is pretty huge uh freight train she can push a friendly model one inch plus another three per scrap if she removes any. And if it, it comes in contact with a the model, they take a move 14 duel or suffer damage equal Ugh. to its size. And for the golem, that's four damage. Yeah, that's good. Um, how about defensively, Brandon? How is how is Mayfang staying on the table? Uh, well, she has um, armor one and six defense, which is pretty standard for a master. But really, that vent steam is her biggest... Uh, defensive tech, throwing out the hazardous and the concealment. Yeah, you're you're going to have to have some spe uh, either specific tech or um, a very resilient model, I think, to move on her, right? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, now we're not going to have, we're not going to talk about the crew, but I'd be curious. Is there, is there healing in the crew? Uh, her totem has a little bit of healing, but it's more situational. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, guys, that gives us kind of an idea of what Mei Fang is, but I think that um, Mei Fang is one of those mon- uh, monsters, masters, that um, really you have to look in the context of the entire keyword. Um, her by herself does not reveal um, really what uh, the, the keyword does. So let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about the models that are around her. So what do these guys bring in as their core crew that really kind of make her a competitive play? We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So now the first thing, if we're going to talk about the core crew, Jeremy, we got to talk about uh, the totem. So uh, talk to walk me through uh, what the totem brings to the table. Yeah. So we have the forgeling, uh, which is uh, your pretty standard, you know, cheap totem, except that it is significant. Um, oh, that's big. Yeah. So um, you can use it for some scheming and early in the game, what it's going to be doing is kind of helping you set up that ride the rails because with this bonus action, it can drop a scrap marker on a ram and it only needs a four for that. And at the end of his activation, it has walking forge uh, to drop a scrap marker in the base contact with it. So a couple ways to help get that ride the rail set up uh, for, you know, later in the first and uh, subsequent turns. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about it because it, it's it's you know prevalent throughout the crew itself. But Jeremy, for somebody who's not familiar with Ride the Rails, can we talk mechanically how that works? I know it's on May Fang's card. Yeah, it's on uh, all. It's the the keyword ability uh, for Foundry. So Ride the Rails is if a model is within one inch of a scrap marker when it takes a walk action instead of moving normally, it can place itself in the base contact with another scrap marker within twelve inches. Even God, that's if so good even if the model's engaged. So, um, yeah, it's a great way to uh, reposition yourself, get yourself out of trouble. You don't need line of sight, anything like that. It's just 12 inches away, um, just with a scrap marker in both places. Yeah, and I can tell you, it um, as playing against this, um, it takes a little getting used to because, you know, at first, um, you know, I thought this was just a huge part of the crew, so I was super paranoid about uh, about ride the rails, and you know, I think overcompensated um, in trying to defend against ride the rails, and I ended up getting my ass kicked because it seems like it's a dominant piece part of this crew, but you quickly find out it's great. 
but it's not their make it or break it for this crew. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. So Jeremy, we, you know, we see that the totem does help with that. We found out, of course, it has a little bit of situational healing. I do want to know your first hire though. So if you know you're, you're going to play May Fang, what is the first model you add to the crew? Uh, typically first model is going to be the golem. Um, usually going to go with, you know, the, the big beater in the crew, uh, for a couple reasons. One is that it also has uh, walking forge. So it's gonna drop scrap uh, at the end of his activation. Uh, and it also has vent steam, uh, just like, um, you know, May Fang. So another way to put up that concealing aura, um, you know, so, you know, you can go first with the golem put up vent steam, and then you can use all of your attacks with May Fang in order to uh, take advantage of that aura being up instead of having to use one of her actions to vent steam or using her uh, her burning attack, uh, yeah. breath of fire, in order to put up the vent steam. So, you know, just another way to get that down for the rest of the crew. Yeah, and his attack action is pretty gross. Yeah, absolutely. It's a three, four, six with a built-in positive. It's only a stat five, but when you have a, um, a built-in positive, it, I don't mind it as much. Um, yeah, it's effectively a stat six with a built-in positive. Absolutely. And That's then off nice. the rail, and then you have that off the rails ability, which allows him to push up the six. Um, the TN, it, uh, you push up the six, ignoring other models, and then every model you pass through has to pass a TN thirteen move duel, suffer two damage, and be placed in the base contact with the model. And then after that, you still get to take a melee swing targeting the model. Uh, and you can declare tri- uh, triggers on it because it's not a trigger. It's just from the ability. Yeah. it. Um, you quickly find out, I think, when playing Mei Fang or playing against Mei Fang is the the efficiency of this keyword is is pretty shocking, especially when it's in the right hands. Brandon, does Iron Golem uh, make it into every one of your crews? Every time it makes it into it. And also to add on to that off-the-rails attack, you get to make a free melee attack against any model that you move through, even if they do not make, even if they do not fail that uh, move duel. That, that seems efficient. That seems good. <laughs> so, Brandon, uh, after you hire the Iron Golem, what are some other, uh, what's the next model that makes it into most of your crews? Uh, Sparks. Sparks makes it into almost every one of my lists. There's only been a few games that I haven't taken them, and almost instantly regretted it. And what does he bring? Uh, so one, he brings the healing. Um, I forgot about that earlier, but his uh, heavy wrench can uh, heal friendly constructs. He also has a ability to throw an upgrade on a model called Bombs in Your Belly that, one, give the model Demise Explosive 3, but the... <sighs> Big upgrade on this is whenever the model with the upgrade is attacked, you add a blast to that attack damage and you choose where the blast is placed. Yeah. And he's able, let's walk through. So he's able to put that on the model. So that could, it's not something, an ability he gains. It's, it's the model that gets the upgrade, right? Um, he still has that ability. So if Sparks oh, okay. dies, you don't get to place the blasts anymore. So you have to watch out for that. Interesting. The, Interesting. The Mize does go on to the actual model, though. Very cool. Um, how about uh, how about you, Jeremy? Sparks uh, make it to your crew? 
almost every time. Uh, yeah, because uh, in addition to the healing, um, you know, having that hostile work environment, uh, which is going to prevent uh, enemy models from being uh, targeted by the actions of other enemy models within that's an huge. aura of six. Oh, yeah, that's big. you know, yeah. So, like, all of a sudden, if they're trying to assist their models, heal their mo- anything, you know, move them, any sort of targeting, they have to pay attention to sparks first. How hard is it to how hard is it to take sparks off the table? How hard is it to keep them alive? Now, sparks is uh, he can be a bit squishy. Uh, all things he does have scamper, so you know from his tricksy uh, keyword as well. So he can move uh, or push two inches if a model cheats. Um, he is evasive, so you can't blast him. I do like to often put uh, you know soulstone cash on him so that he can use soulstones to try to protect him because I feel that he is valuable enough that I would rather be able to use stones to save him than to risk losing him early. So I'd be curious, Jeremy, knowing that, um, and it sounds like, uh, May Fang herself may not be as stone hungry as some other masters, but you know, you putting soul stone cash on anything in Arcanus, um, increases the uh, amount of stones you want to bring on average. How many stones do you bring with a foundry crew? It honestly depends on how many models can use stones. That's one of the first things that I consider. So if, and, and of course, we are Arcanists, so we can bring Soulstone Miners. So uh, that's also a factor. So, yep. if, you know, I'm probably, if I don't have any other Soulstone users other than May, which is a good portion of the time, I'm probably in the four to six range. If, I, if I need more Soulstones, uh, soul I might go up to, you know, six to seven, but never any more than that. I'm probably just going to be more leaning toward models than uh, Stones. How about you, Brandon? I generally have between three to five, uh, but I also put soulstone cash on the golem because things will die around the golem, and you'll get more from that. Oh, that makes sense, right? Because of the uh, the ability to take advantage of that, and with his damage output, that makes sense. Um, how about some other uh, important um, within keyword models that we need to uh, discuss, Brandon? Uh, so one of the next ones that I always look at are the survivors. They're a little five-point model with armor one hard to kill. They also have the ride the rails and scamper. Uh, but they have a 14-inch gun with a trigger to throw scrap next to the target, helping you to build onto that scrap network as well. That's nice. So I'd be curious, Jeremy, you know, now that we're kind of getting a feel of, uh, you know, the abilities that we're seeing across Foundry, we're seeing how scrap is used multiple in multiple different ways. We're seeing the efficiency, the mobility. Can you kind of give me an idea of what a turn one first couple activations looks like with Mayfang? Uh, sure. So, um, you know, turn one, uh, the first thing you got, like you, I typically set up my models uh, rather close together, you know, huddled together and with intent on dropping that first scrap marker near all of them so that they can then, you know, ride the rails from there, basically having a beacon to leave from. And uh, the second scrap marker is going to be put down either by one of the walking forge models like the forgeling, uh, potentially the rider if I bring that. Um, or uh, even Mei Fang can do it with her bonus action because the trigger allows her to drop scrap. So uh, turn one is going to be doing that and probably focusing to, uh, you know, 
basically getting myself into position for turn two. So, uh, Brandon, Jeremy mentions the rider. Is there, are there versatile models like the rider that you uh, typically hire? Uh, generally, rider is one of the only models that I take a lot. Every once in a while, I might take a Soulstone Miner, but that's only into Corrupted Ley Lines, which we'll get into later. Got it. Got it. How about you, Jeremy? Uh, what does the rider bring? Why is the rider something that you and Brandon both look to? Well, uh one of the things is it's move seven, uh, so it can get to where you need it to. And with this bonus action, uh, it can place a marker, which can be a uh, scheme, corpse, or that valuable scrap right. um, within an aura of six. So you can move seven and focus and then do the bonus action to drop a scrap. And, you know, you've already set up that first 12-inch uh, marker away from the crew to, you know, go ahead and uh, move out the rest of the models. So um, let's talk a little list building, Jeremy. Um, now, obviously you don't know the opponent. You don't know the, um, uh, the scheme pool and things like that. But I have found that for most of us, we have kind of that core crew, right? Maybe the first 25, 30 stones that we always bring in and then we'll flex the rest of them based on who we're facing and stuff like that. So let's do a quick rundown. What is that? You know, you don't even know what you're, what you're going up against, but you know, you're playing Mei Fang. Can you give me a feel of what kind of that core crew looks like from top to bottom? It's Mei Fang. It's the foundling. Right. Uh, it's probably it's going to be the golem, uh, the rider, um, either a survivor or the metal gammon. Um, honestly, that, that part's probably going to depend on the faction um, and sparks. Um, and then after that, uh, it's really going to depend on what I need the crew to do. And honestly, right. if I needed the crew to do something else, May Fang so flexible that I can, you know, even build a crew out of just versatile models uh, because they're all constructs pretty much within the faction. So they all have ways to work with that scrap, whether it be by eating them for a healing or positive flips or dropping them down when they kill models. Yeah, and Arcanists have a strong versatile pool, I think, which uh, really helps the, the faction in general. Brandon, how much does your core crew differ from that, or is, is you and Jeremy pretty pretty similar? Uh, it's pretty much the same. Uh, May, the Forgelings, Sparks, uh, the Golem, of course, and the Rider. Uh, how about the Metal Gammon? Is that something that you play with? Yes, uh, normally it is the Metal Gammon. But in some situations, uh, I'll bring the uh, mechanical pork chop. Uh, oh, interesting. In GG Zero, I didn't like him as much. But in the new ones, I kind of like him a bit, little bit more. Very nice. Let's, we'll talk about that more when we get into uh, the, the uh, strats and schemes. Um, so my last question for you, Brandon, is I want to talk about the upgrades. Um, I have made an argument that um, I think that Arcanists have some of the better um, upgrades um, across all factions. Um, we talked a little bit about the Soulstone Cache. Is there any other upgrades that you're bringing uh, with uh, the, this crew? And if so, where are you putting them? I don't tend to bring too many upgrades outside of Soulstone Cash. I know everybody may say, "Blast me! You're not bringing mechanical or uh, magical training." But with the Rider being able to draw cards off of its gun, I don't really find needing that extra card. And with May's ability to add suits as well, that extra card doesn't necessarily break the faction 
or break the you don't have crew. this yeah you don't have the same resource pressure jeremy how about you are you uh with brandon on not bringing magical training or do you staple that to somebody Absolutely. I'm bringing magical training. I, how could any Arcanist not play the character? How dare you? How dare you, sir? Yeah, uh, who, do you who do you put uh, it on, Jeremy? It honestly depends. Um, I like it on the survivor because its trigger causes it to take damage. So uh, magical training gives it a shield so you can get that trigger without having to hurt yourself for it. Um, and since it has a 14-inch gun, it's typically pretty safe. Um, yeah. You know, also, of course... Uh, it's never a bad idea to put magical training on the Soul Stone Miner. Uh, even after the updates, um, it's still a great model and can still get a lot of work done and can, you know, allow you to keep pulling in uh, that extra card and a Soul Stone. Now, you said that uh, the Soul Stone Miner is still a good model. Everybody on the Internet's telling me that Soul Stone Miners are garbage now. Yes, because uh, people on the Internet uh, tend to... Uh, say things without playing the models enough, it seems like. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I think a lot of people may be missing is that uh, if you use the rider with the Soulstone Miner uh, to reactivate it, you can still, you know, allow yourself to score on that same turn because the card says, you know, it is irrelevant for strats and schemes until the start of his next activation. Well, the rider can make it reactivate that same turn so all of a sudden wow, it's a, it significant so yeah i did not real i did not even think about that combo that's really really nice um brandon any last things that we need to talk about as far as uh the crew itself or uh hires uh that's pretty much about my uh main crews other than maybe flexing some depending on select or strat schemes and opponents well, let's talk about that flexing. So let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about it in a better context. We're going to talk about um, really what strategies does this foundry crew excel in? And if so what models do they flex into it? And we're going to do the same for some of the schemes. So we'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other tabletop games using Mats by Mars. Their mats are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase marker-compatible, and lighter than neoprene. Their mats use a new material that eliminates almost all glare, which is perfect if you're filming battle reports or you're under some glaring lights. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a print or design, and then choose an overlay for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. The overlays will speed up your deployment and the placement of all of your objective markers. Until the end of September 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR920 to get a 10% discount on your next order. The promo code is in the show notes. When you place your order, don't be afraid to tell Mats by Mars you'd like a Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat at no charge. It's the only way to make the best mat in the market even cooler. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR920 to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. One of the things that I love about Malifaux is um, you can't just list build in a vacuum. Um, the pool is going to be a big factor and the opposing faction is going to be a factor as well. So, Brandon, when you look at the four strategies, is there one strategy that you think that the crew really excels in? Uh, my favorite strategy would probably be uh, Symbols of Authority. 
with Mei Fang because the mobility to get back and forth to help protect her markers as well as grabbing the opponent's markers really shines. And, and what are some tech pieces that you bring in if you're going to play symbols with her? Uh, generally, this is when I kind of bring in the pork chop alongside the rider for he's a move six that can also go reckless. So he can scream across the board to throw uh, some scrap markers for me to get around to. Yeah, and I would imagine that the flexibility of that ride the rails allows her to be where you need her to be and be able to react to the opponent um, within that positioning game. Jeremy, do you like uh, Mei Fang into uh, symbols? Uh, I I like her into symbols. It is it. Uh, I do like other masters in the symbols more. Um, like who? I, um, Karis is usually my go-to for symbols because um, I just like uh, the flight that a couple of our models have and the movement they have to get to where they need to go. Um, so I usually lean toward her. Um, for May, I would tend to move uh, more toward like public enemies. Uh, oh, really? Let's talk about that. Why do you like her in public enemies? Uh, just because a lot of her models are really cheap. Survivors are five, uh, you know, with that long range gun. Um, so our metal game and Neil Henry's only eight. Um, so, and, he has flurry and reckless, so he can kill models like you need to, and he isn't going to give that extra um, point uh, in public enemies like a nine stone model would. That makes sense. So uh, Neil Henry obviously is a is a piece that you flex in in that situation, and is that strictly because of his cost, or what else does he bring bring with him into public enemies? Um, well, the flurry and the reckless, um, so you can get those extra attacks in. Um, you know, I mean, it's a two, four, five, you know, and he has that ride to whales with hard to wound. I'll, you know, if I'm, I'll usually put uh soulstone cash on a model uh, in public enemies that's around eight so that you can play it like it's a 10 cost beater, but you're still not uh, getting punished for that, uh, for the extra stone cost on the card. So, Jeremy, when you look at the schemes, what are, what is kind of your favorite scheme that if it's in the pool and you're playing Foundry, it's a scheme that you're almost guaranteed to take? Uh, research mission. Oh, interesting. Okay, why is that? Uh, because between uh, everything dropping scrap, uh, at the end, a lot of the models dropping scrap at the end of their activation, uh, you usually can just get away with you know having to drop maybe one scheme. And if I'm bringing the rider... Uh, it can drop any one of the three markers. Uh, you can drop scheme, scrap, or corpse to help with that as well. You have Willie that can drop the um, blow it all to hell markers. You know, you can always count the uh, strategy marker as a marker for research mission. So there's just so many ways that you can score it. Plus, with ride the rails, you're going to be able to push forward to get across the board quickly to be able to score that or move to a place that you can score easily. So Willie's is the first time that we've brought him up. And obviously he sounds like a flex piece. If this, uh, if you're going to take this scheme, is there any other times when you bring Willie in or is, is it pretty much if you see this scheme in the pool? I mean, Willie is uh, more of a counter pick outside of trying to, you know, maybe flex it in for something like research mission. You know, if you're going against Rasputina or a uh, zip or any one of the models that can uh, drop, uh, markers that are destructible that you want blow it all the hell in uh, to have in there as well. But other than that, I'm usually uh, probably going to go to uh, some of the other models in the crew. 
Sure. Brandon, how about you? What are, what are some schemes that if they're in the pool and you're playing founder, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to pick? Uh, like Jeremy said, definitely research mission is always my first go-to. And then after that, I might go to some of the uh, get into your opponent's side of the field for breakthrough or maybe spread them out. For obvious reasons, because of that efficient mobility. Yeah. that And if the rider does survive, it can single-handedly score breakthrough turn five. I bet. And and that actually brings up something I think that um, I want to know is, you guys, it sounds like you bring the rider almost every game. So I'd be curious, Brandon, how often is the rider seeing turn five in your games? Now that my meta have seen how strong it is, not as much as it used to. <laughs> they try yeah. to focus that he becomes down higher on as the uh, priority as list. Possible. Yes. Uh, after they see one double golem activation in game, they they go after it. That, that makes a ton of sense. So, Jeremy, if I'm playing against Foundry and I'm looking at the pool, is there some schemes I should definitely just consider dead schemes? What What is the Foundry crew counter really well? What should I make sure I don't take if I'm playing against Foundry? Well, Assassinate can be tricky because yeah. they could just disappear uh, 12 inches away um, very quickly. Um, uh, in terms of other schemes that uh, may be dead, uh, runic binding because it's terrible no <laughs> uh, <laughs> nobody can score it <laughs> uh, uh but the but the, the other scheme one of the benefits of Mayfang is that uh you know she can just move any model kind of out of position to save it so whether that is vendetta or um you know the uh the one where you have to get a minion close uh catch and release yeah, um, you know, like so. If they score the first point, you know, you can ride the rails even if you're engaged. So you're just okay. I'm just going to disappear and end up on the other side of the board. Good luck, you know, getting engaged with me at this point. Yeah, I would imagine, Brandon, uh, because of that efficiency and that flexibility, um, it, an opponent really needs to be selective in the schemes they pick because it sounds like a lot of those second points are going to be extra difficult against Foundry. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, that is, and that's how I can go back to using her as a control piece because she is really right. good at denying uh, a lot of the schemes where if I get a whiff of it, if I get a whiff of Assassinate, she's jumping you know, 12, 24 inches away from your beaters and staying safe and Sparks is coming up and healing her. Um, if I get a whiff yeah. of Sabotage, I'm dropping a marker and I'm running straight back to it and either removing that marker or throwing my own scrap to deny it. Yep, that makes a ton of sense. So, guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to go into my favorite segment. We're going to talk about second-level play, um, how to really um, up your game and things that uh, take a little bit of time to learn to really get the most out of this crew. We're also going to find out some of the weaknesses of this crew. So we'll be right back. DZ Learguard here, creator of the M3E Crew Builder app, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because supporting great content creators like them is one of the best ways to help grow this game. So to join me and the other floor heads, go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, and we will see you there. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, 
please go by our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, want to give a special shout out to some of our newest patrons. Special thanks to Mike Schmidt, Peter DeArmas, Eli, Casey Guidewell, Alexander Ebby, The Gazebo Was, Islin, Joe Hadfield, William Majerum, Alan Connell, Sean Fisher, James Woodbread, Nick Cromarty, and Blair Thompson. Because of you guys, we're able to put out content on a regular basis, and we appreciate it. Um, I have found, um, you know, part of what I love about this game is that, you know, there's kind of uh, a two two initial levels. Um, so when you sit down, I think the first level of play is understanding what the crew does, learning the mechanics, um, learning how to play the crew. And then what happens is maybe after your 10th, 15th game, you start realizing that there's there's aspects to this crew that you don't realize until you actually get it on the table. So, Jeremy, I'd be curious what are some things that someone's going to figure out after they get their reps in? What are things that aren't as obvious about this crew? What do you consider second level play? Uh, ride the rails can be a bit of a trap. If you think of it as a way to attack, uh, because it doesn't, you can't charge when using ride the rails. It uses an AP. Um, so, you know, when I first started attempting to play with uh, foundry, I was trying to put a scrap down so that I could move to the scrap and then charge in and attack. And it just wasn't an efficient way of using my AP. It's much better as for positioning to get in the places where you need to be and as an escape uh, route because you can do it while engaged. Yeah, and I, I would think, Jeremy, and tell me if this is true, that learning where to put those scrap, seating the board, I would imagine, is something that you have to figure out just by playing. Absolutely. You know, because you have you have so many of your abilities that are based on scrap, whether it's the bonus action of the golem to uh, add the shielding or uh, Sparks' ability to make scrap markers uh, hazardous so that they're damaged one, injured one. Because if you can get enough injured out, it really doesn't matter that Mei Fang's attack is only six because, you know, if they have a stat, you know, three or two uh, because of the injured, you know, you're able to hit every time, no matter what. Yeah. And it makes that golems attack, uh, uh, even better, right? Because of, uh, one, you know, one of the downsides is that stat five. How about you, Brandon? It was, you know, the geometry and the decision-making of, you know, where to put scrap and how do you scrap? Was that something that took some time to figure out? Absolutely. That was the hardest part to figure out because not only do you got to figure out where you want to go, but you also got to think about where your opponent wants to go and where you can place scrap to kind of hinder their progress as well to not only advance your own agendas. So Brandon, I was a little surprised. It makes sense to me, but I was a little surprised when you call, you know, you said you play her as a control master. Was that what you considered her at the beginning or is that something that you figured out over time? Uh, that is something that I figured out over time. Uh, first starting off, I did what Jeremy did. I, Drop the scrap as far forward as I can and just ran everything straight onto the opponent's side of the board and got wiped. 
So what was the, like, what unlocked that for you? So if someone's saying, you know, boy, that's interesting what Brandon's talking about a control master, what are, what are some shortcuts or some things that they should focus on to really get an understanding of how you play her? What, what are, what are some uh, ways for them to really get their arms around that control aspect? It's reading the game, figuring out, trying to figure out what your opponent is trying to do. And with her being able to push and also with her aura, like I said, being able to deal damage out, it kind of puts them in a position of, do I want to go into this location knowing I'm going to take a lot of damage and possibly lose a model? As well as, once again, with her pushes, she can move people away in ley lines. If they get next to a marker, you can throw them away from the markers. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, Jeremy, you talk about her being a toolbox master, um, which is awesome, right? That it gives you the ability to really to uh, to counter, to adjust, and to uh, you know make some moves. But there's also some traps involved with a toolbox master, which is it's uh, too many options increases your chances of choosing a bad one. So um, at a high level, Jeremy, what what is kind of the decision making process with her? So how do you prioritize things when you're playing Foundry? How do you decide um, what is the best, you know, best next move or best approach based off of what you're seeing on the board? Yeah, so like one of the things, like early in the game, you know, the first thing you have to do is worry about getting down your scrap. Like, how are you going to get down your scrap? So then I'm first thing I'm going to do is look at my hand. If I have a low RAM, then I know that I can get the uh, Forgelings trigger to uh, toss a scrap down near a model and then walk away and then drop the next scrap. But if I don't have any of those RAMs, then I know that I'm probably going to have to use either uh, a Metal Gammon, the Golem, or potentially the rider in order to get down enough scrap to kind of get that network down. So um, you really have to uh, kind of go into it realizing that what the first model that activates uh, is, particularly turn one, may just have to be different based on what cards you have available. So, Jeremy, if, if a new player walks up to you and says, I am a rider die arcanist, I love arcanists, and I'm trying to think of, you know, some good masters that I should get. Do you think um, do you think the Foundry crew is a good starter master or is this something you would recommend to that person after they've maybe played the game a little bit more? As it worked for me, it worked better for me coming back to Mayfang at first. Um I just, uh, I needed to learn a bit more about how models uh, moved around in Malifaux before Mayfang really made sense. Um, and that's probably why I was just running in uh, with uh, Ride the Rails and getting slaughtered a lot of times yep. and thinking that she wasn't that good. Um, so yeah, so the, uh, that would probably be what I would recommend there. Uh, so continuing that, knowing it's not the Foundry crew, what do you consider the two best masters for a new uh, Arcanist player? What are the two masters do you think that in Arcanist really will allow somebody, one, to be able to learn them, right? So they can't be too difficult, too intricate, not too much second level play, effective at the first level. Um, but, you know, they might have a chance of winning games. What do you think are two good starter Arcanist masters? Um, I would say uh, Karis and Colette. Um just because they share uh, Carlos, which I think is one of the best gamers in the faction. Yep. Um, and uh, they do two completely different things. Uh, Karis is uh, more attacking, running gun style. Uh, Colette is a lot of scheming. So it's basically going to give you uh, the flexibility to do any of the schemes or strats. 
while not being overly complicated. Uh, you know, you know that you're just trying to do a lot of scheming with Glett. You know that you're trying to probably do a lot of attacking with Karis. How would you, Brandon? Do you think those are two good starting masters for a budding Arcanist? Uh, I would definitely say yes. Uh, Kyrus, hands down, is the best master to start in Arcanist. Colette is a little bit harder, not as far as her crew. Her crew is pretty simple and easy, but Colette herself is a little awkward, and you have to look at the game a little bit different to get the best uses out of her. So if it would be Karis would be one, who would be your second uh, recommendation? Honestly, I would probably go with Colette, just because, like I said, her crew is easier to play. Um, gotcha. But you're looking into Sandeep is a headache to play. And it's a lot of the other masters involve bubbles, which I think are actually a little bit harder to play. I agree. Yeah, they're not new player friendly. Um, doesn't mean they're not effective. It just means uh, they're going to be you're going to have a lot of painful one sided games uh, when you start off as a new player um, being able to master that. Because, again, we've got a little theme going. Positioning is important um, and positioning is a hard thing uh, to really learn and get your arms around. So, uh, Brandon, um, if I'm standing in front of you and you're playing the foundry crew, what are some things I can bring to the table or things I can do on the table? That's really going to make things hard for you. What are some potential, uh, either hires or, uh, strategies I can bring that help counter, um, and, and expose some of the weaknesses. Uh, Von Stuck. <laughs> he, if he so, why, why is Von Stuck uh, a tough time for her? Uh, he does everything that counters her so well. Um, he ignores the upgrades, so bombs in your belly is no longer available. Uh, Anna, her henchman or his henchman, uh, denies places in a six-inch bubble, so you can't ride the rails in anywhere around Ooh. six inches of her. He has easy access to built-in um, armor piercings. Oh, right, the armor piercing, yeah. And he also just says, uh, that scrap marker that you laid, I'm going to turn it into a ski marker of mine. That makes sense. Um, so generally speaking, taking back, Jeremy, what are things you hate, hate, would hate to see me do if, we, if I was playing against your foundry crew? If you're running constructs, it's bad because you can avoid the vent steam damage. It's uh, enemy non-constructs. Yeah. So that uh, or, you know, models that just eat markers, either, you know, the... Um, whether it's Molly who eat, can eat markers for cards or uh, the swarms that can eat scrap markers to heal themselves, anything that can uh, stop my ride the rails network can uh, definitely impede my progress. Um, so we've mentioned two resurrectionist masters with Von Stuck and with Molly. I'd be curious, Jeremy, um, what are some things that the May Fang player can do if the opponent declares resurrectionist and you know they potentially could be bring Von Stuck and Molly. Are there some uh, hires or some things that they can keep in mind that can help minimize that hard counter? Uh, yeah. Um, so if, you, if you're expecting like the constructs, uh, uh, not Willie, uh, Neil Henry. Uh -huh. uh, Neil Henry can, uh, he has uh, an action that to give out injured and constructs are on a negative. So that's a way to, you know, possibly, you know, get them injured, get that injured up high enough so that, you know, May Fang or one of the other models like the Golem could come in and probably uh, do some damage. Is there any surprise hires you can think of, Brandon, that can help mitigate some hard counters? Um, bringing in some of those versatile models, I don't 
tend to bring them in, but against those that don't necessarily need the scraps, you know, bringing in the swarms or the soulstone miners that can get around some of those counters. That makes sense. Well, guys, I think that gives us kind of a good feel of what the Foundry crew can do. Um, I completely agree with these guys as far as kind of their take on this. I think that um, you, I hear all the time from people that just start playing Mei Fang. They talk about how she's not very good. She's not competitive. But um, when I start talking to some of the better Arcanist players out there, they have found a place for her. Um, and they, you know, they say that she's not necessarily the easiest to maximize. Um, but I can tell you firsthand that in the right hands, this crew can do a lot of damage. So guys, we're going to take one more break. When I get back from this break, I want to talk a little bit about gaining grounds one, and I want to find out a little bit more what keywords out there are scaring the heck out of you that maybe didn't scare you in gaining ground zero, but based on the new pools and the new schemes and strats, keywords that you think uh, their value went up and that you hate seeing on the other side of the table. So we'll be right back. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the US and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. So, you know, when we talk about uh, keywords and strength of keywords and people are tearing the keywords and things like that, um, I think that's much tougher to do in Malifaux versus a lot of other mini games. Um, I joke about Arcanus. Um, I talk about how much I hate Arcanus and, you know, it's a bit of my shtick here on the, sh- on the show. Um, I think Arcanus are really, really good against me. For whatever reason, the toolkit that Arcanist brings, I have struggled with from the beginning of playing in this game to even when I've gotten mediocre, which is where I am now. For whatever reason, because of my play style, the way I look at the game, Arcanists have tools that are really effective, more effective against me. I have not struggled against Ton Thunders the way a lot of people have as well, right? So for whatever reason, 10 Thunders is a, an excellent strong faction, but if someone said to me, would you rather play Arcanist against Arcanist or 10 Thunders? I'll take 10 Thunders all day long because for whatever reason, I don't struggle with them as much as I do Arcanist. So I'm really interested with uh, both of these guys to find out what are some keywords that that they struggle with. And again, it doesn't mean that these keywords are great, right? That they're the best, they're tier S or whatever you want to call it. It's for whatever reason, these are keywords that they as players have struggled with. And I want to deep uh, dive into that. So Jeremy, what is a keyword out there that, you know, just has been a pain in your ass? Uh, whoa, Pandora. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is awful uh, as an Arcanist player because most of our ma- masters or keywords are passing out conditions in some form or fashion yeah. out and she punishes for that. So if you accidentally, I've played Sandeep into uh, Pandora and it's a bad time. She stops everything that he wants to get done. 
Yeah, she she's tough, man. She is she is a good master. She's especially brutal if you don't really know what she does. And I have said this before, and she's one of these keywords. She's one of those keywords. You can read uh, the Pandora uh, card all day long. You can look at the rest of her crew all day long until you see how that all happens on the table, how it all comes together. You just don't realize um, just how gross um, Pandora can be. Um, any other uh, masters out there you're struggling with right now, Jeremy? Uh, and the new uh, in GG1, uh say has gotten a lot better uh, i i have joked uh with sam because he plays neverborn that you know whatever uh in gg zero that if anybody declared to tanya i was uh happy with that i'm like fine it's not dreamer and yeah. not uh and not pandora but uh yeah she's a lot better now because those being able to push your models like that or having models that have uh bring it can be game changers in uh, the new strats and schemes. So that's really interesting to me, Jeremy. That's two Neverborn uh, models. And I have made this argument on the show a few times that I think that the biggest faction that won GG1 was Neverborn. I think that their strength went way up um, in uh, this new Gaining Grounds uh, release. How about you, Brandon? What is the keyword out there that um, is really just giving you fits? Well, I'm continuing on that Neverborn thing. Nekama has just been a pain. I, for some reason, cannot seem to figure out how to win against her. She's so fast, and she can just pin you into your deployment zone, and it's a struggle for you to score any of your schemes or strats. Yeah, she is um, She's unforgiving, I think, to play against and to play for, too. Um, if the, if the Nekama player makes a mistake, the Nekama player is going to lose. It's hard to recover, uh, from mistakes, um, when you're playing Nekama, but like a lot of things, uh, Nekama in good hands, that means that they're not making those mistakes and, uh, uh, playing against a perfect Nekama game is, uh, that's tough. She's really, really good. Um, is there any other uh, keywords, Brandon, that historically have been challenges for you? Um, or is just Nekama the only one that's giving you fits right now? Uh, besides Von Stuck, uh, I just think he's, <laughs> he's just, he does everything too good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I even jumped on the Von Stuck bandwagon and felt bad because I've tabled people and won eight, three. Well, and I, I predicted this one. I, I'll give myself a little bit of credit here. Cause if you go back and look at previous Espo, uh, uh, um, episodes. I called Von Stuck early. I said that he is one of the best masters in Rezzers, if not in uh, the game. And the only reason that people weren't talking about him six months ago is because the box wasn't out yet. People hadn't gotten the models painted yet. But that's changed. We are now starting to see that. And it's really going to get out of control when you see uh, the um, uh, Transmortis uh, models go, come out as well because right now it's hard to find those um, the students um, and when people can get their hands on the students and start fielding um, those bigs uh, you know Von Stuck is good he is very very good well guys um, that was a lot of fun and I appreciate it um, Brandon it was great to have you on again and Jeremy we're definitely going to talk you into coming on again in fact there's um, you and I are in secret talks for a secret project um, that we're going to be hopefully doing on the YouTube channel soon uh, we'll have details about that coming out a little bit later um, but I'd be curious to know Jeremy is there any shout outs or uh, plugs that you want to get in uh yeah, just uh, shout outs to uh, all of the 
the kind people in the, the Malifaux universe that have uh, welcomed me in and uh, showed me how all of this works. I mean, a year ago, I didn't even know that uh, this game existed pretty much. And, you know, everyone has been nice and welcoming. So uh, shout out to everyone out there. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure having you in the matter, Jeremy. Um, it uh, I, I consider you um, one of those rare occasions where I enjoy getting my ass handed to me because I uh, actually enjoy playing you. Um, so I don't mind it nearly as bad. So, uh, yeah. How about you, Brandon? Any shout outs or plugs? Uh, just shout out to all the floor heads. <laughs> That's good. That one for you, um, Cody. How is... Uh- <laughs> that's funny how, um, how is the meta doing in your in your parts brandon it's uh not doing you know not doing bad it's like everywhere else it's got its hits there's people still posting and talking about it and like we said earlier we have been able to get a couple games i know i've played actually three games in store this month so hopefully soon we'll uh recover from this and uh, start yeah. getting more. It's going to be interesting. I'll be very interested to see a year from now, um, not only where Malifaux is, but I think where tabletop gaming in general is. Um, it, uh, it's going to be uh, very interesting uh, what the other side of this looks like once we get there, um, which I hope is uh, sooner than later. Um, so for those of you listening, I appreciate you sticking around the end. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. And this is why um, I should take notes. <laughs> I wish I had. Oh uh, no! <laughs> um, think about think about your meta, Brandon. Who? What are just? What are some of your nightmares um, as an Arcanist player, or well, as just a player in general? It wasn't as much about that. I just once again, you know, forgot to mention one of the things of Mei Fang has a way to give out stun, which is huge for controlling other models. Oh, okay, but that's yeah, not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Um, what, what are key, what are keywords that you're going to mention, Jeremy? Mm, keywords that I don't like against uh, May Fang. Not necessarily. No, we're 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 done or, with May Fang. So just in like general, that. as a player or as an Arcanist player, 
What are some keywords that you are really struggling with in gaining grounds one or just in general uh, keywords that maybe you think are really strong, especially if they're ones that people aren't talking about? Is there any that you can think of? Uh, a couple of the never born ones like Titania and Pandora. Uh, Beautiful. So All right. Let's have you talk was, about those. How about you, Brandon? I was actually going to say uh, Nekama. Oh, she, great. That's she great. has right. uh, really been a thorn inside in my side this season. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. So, Jeremy, we'll start with you. Um, Let's talk about both of those and then we'll go to Brandon. And what I like the most about this is that um, all this talk about how Neverborn's a weak faction is a bunch of garbage. Um, And you guys are going to help me reinforce that uh, message because I think that that's a uh, false message that's out there. All right. So I'll bring us back. Jeremy, I'm actually really going to start with you this time. I don't know why I, did. I said you, and then I realized I <laughs> called on Brandon like an yeah, asshole. You so. threw me off. Uh, you threw me for a, yeah. a little quick loop there. I had yeah. to think of my heels. Like, <laughs> like three seconds afterwards, I'm like, "Fuck!" I was going to start with Jeremy, and I didn't. So, um, all right. Um, I'll give you a setup, uh, Jeremy. Let's talk about one thing that took you time to learn, um, but really was the difference maker for you. And then I'll then I'll bounce to Brandon. All right. So, Jeremy, uh, for this section um, and uh, you too, Brandon, um, what I want you guys to do is pick one, maybe two strategies at the most. Um, uh, I don't want to go through each one of them and really the same thing for the schemes. And the big thing that I want is to make sure that we're keeping it in context of the overall faction. So as good and as flexible as she is. That doesn't mean she's the best in all of these, right? So what we want to figure out is when are you bringing her and you're not bringing, uh, you know, Rasputina? Um, because she's better than Rasputina in this situation. She's better than Marcus in this situation. She's better than Sandeep in this situation. So let's keep it in that context. Um, so Brandon, I'll start with you um, and I'll ask you, you know, what strategy is your favorite strategy where uh, the Foundry crew is kind of a, 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 a big consideration? And then we'll talk about flexing into it, okay? All right. That was good. Cool. Yes, this is much better. You both are clear. Now I can understand everything you said. Good. Huh? What? Good, good, good. What was that? Yeah, what? Jeremy, you're breaking up. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no! I quit! <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Uh, so, Jeremy, I'll start with you. Um, if we can talk about the totem, and then I'll ask what, what is your kind of your first, first initial hire model you always bring in, okay? Sounds like a plan. All right. Also, above and beyond the game, it's the the counter. I mean, not the. <laughs> I can't speech today. The uh, interaction. I'm sorry, Craig. I, I apparently I'm breaking up a bit. I didn't hear that question. That's all right, man. So what I, I and I'm, I'll just let you jump off. But what I asked you is, you know, is the you know, Malfo is a pretty intricate game, not an easy game to learn. Um, what did you find the hardest hardest thing to get your arms around as a new player? Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast, too, while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care. <laughs> 